We're going to move now into 1 Peter. Do you remember that book? We started there in September. We're going to go until late July. We're going to continue to unpack these wonderful truths that, that Peter, called by God, carried along by the Holy Spirit, wrote for the people that he was leading, knowing that the church forever would use these words to be edified and encouraged on this, uh, what we call, because the Word of God says so, a sojourn. But today we begin with a very interesting statement that he makes, and we're going to camp in these few verses for the next three weeks. He says, chapter, chapter 4, verse 7, the end of all things is near. Now imagine you're hearing that letter. Somebody's reading it. You're living at the time in which Peter's alive, and those are strong words. People know who he is. He is an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he is saying the end of all things is near. Well, that was over 2,000 years ago. It's just as near, isn't it? Because the way in which God thinks of time, he has a lot for us to learn from these verses. So let's stand. For the reading of God's word, 1 Peter 4, beginning in verse 7, we'll go through verse 11. It's in your bulletin or in the pew Bible in front of you. Peter writes, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Lord, we do say amen. It is your word. This is not clever advice conceived by a man but it is the holy inspired word in which you, Holy Spirit, moved Peter to write. And here we are, to over 2,000 years later, seeking to understand the truth of these words on our own sojourn. Father, bless us in this time of the preached word. Teach us to live expectantly. God, would you, would you make us live differently even today? because of what we're about to hear. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. September 18th to the 20th of this fall, Jesus Christ is going to return. <laughs> Who said that? I've got to see your face. That's Lucy Higginbotham, no surprise. <laughs> I had to see your face. How come everybody else didn't say it? <laughs> there was a lot of nervous laughter because you know that can't be a statement someone like me should make. 1988, a man did make that statement. He said sometime between September 11th and the 13th, Jesus Christ is going to return. 
He wrote a book about it, sent 300,000 copies to pastors, many evangelical pastors around the country, really around the world. He also sold four and a half million copies of that book. And it created quite a stir. I'd been a Christian for six years, was a volunteer young life leader at a school called Putnam City High School in Oklahoma City. And I was there on the 11th and the 12th and the 13th, just doing what young life leaders call contact work. And something happened during lunch. A group of students who never came to our Young Life Club signaled me, and we had a big club, we had a lot of kids. They said, come here, do you think that Jesus Christ is gonna return between now and and, uh, the 13th? And I didn't know what to say. I knew it was an opportunity to build a connection. I certainly didn't believe that he was going to return because the word of God clearly says no one knows the day or the hour. But I thought it's an opportunity. And so I said, oh yes, absolutely. And I don't know if you're ready, but I'm ready. I've been practicing rapture practice. I'm jumping, I'm getting ready. And they just looked at me and we laughed. But I'll tell you that our club for the next two or three weeks was larger than it had ever been. There was something about the fear of what if it is true? What if it really is the end? What if he really is coming? Am I ready? Christians throughout history have fallen on two sides. One is to do the inappropriate, intense, micro-level predicting that God says no man's going to know the day or the hour. So in one sense, if anybody predicted it, you could have confidence saying, well, I know it won't be then. But then there's the other side. And the other side is that we don't think about it much at all. We don't really live our life with an intense urgency and an expectancy that Christ is going to return like a thief in the night. I'm not going to spend a lot of time over the next three weeks unpacking all the different views of the end times. If you're interested though, there are wonderful books in our bookstore downstairs. You can read what the different views are. But I don't think that's really what Peter's point is, so I'm not going there. Peter's point is that we are to live in light of the promised return of Christ, expectantly. But he says to be sober. In other words, we don't need to be hysterical. Maybe the closest experience we've had to something like that was Y2K. Do you all remember that? Yeah, some of you are still eating canned vegetables that you had stored away. (laughs) There is a reality because of what the word of God says that he is going to come. And he's gonna come when we don't expect it. But even though we don't expect it, we can live expectantly. We can live ready. We can live in a way in which we're eager for that time. Not so much because we know that suffering will then end, but because we're gonna be with him and see him face to face. That's the promise for believers. That's the great benefit of what it means for Christ to return. And when he does, every knee will bow and tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Between now and then, whether he returns while we are still living or whether he has already called you home, Peter gives us these incredible words that we should live by. And they're really strong and simple exhortations. Really, this is what he says. Because the end of all things is near, pray expectantly. Love expectantly and serve expectantly. Over the next three weeks, we're going to take those 
strong and powerful exhortations. We're going to do it a little bit different. We're going to go backwards. This morning, I'm going to talk about what it means to serve expectantly. And the reason I'm doing that is because before you this morning stood the newest members of PCPC. What that visual gives us is the promised story of God's rescue continuing to unfold where men and women are coming to saving faith at different ages of life. I love that about our body. We aren't diverse in many ways, but we are diverse in terms of generations, and there's a great blessing in that. As we see God call people to this church, we know that if they are in Christ, as they become members, they have a story of rescue. And that story means that God has saved them from all eternity. They're his, and there's nothing that can take them away from God. But it also means something else. It means that God has uniquely gifted his members, his body, his children with gifts in order to extend the kingdom. Gifts in in order to make known the, the transforming presence of who he is. And every person in Christ has a gift. Every one of us. And so I want to unpack what that means this morning for for a little while. And I'm really asking the Lord to do a work in us that he really begins to stir in us anew what it means to use the very gift that he has given us. Do you know why? Because it's all for his glory. And there's nothing greater than his glory. We think of heaven in a lot of ways. But the greatest part of heaven is going to be seeing his glory in ways this side of earth we can't. And Peter talks about that at the end of this this short little passage. So for his glory's sake, I've been praying that the Lord would stir anew in us an understanding of the gift that he's given us and the call that he has given us to use that gift expectantly, urgently, but soberly. So let's go. Let's just take this this passage as it comes to us. He says, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Again, next week, I'm going to talk about love. Paul Goebel will preach on prayer the following week. Then in verse 9, he says, show hospitality hospitality to one another without grumbling. And now we get to the focus of this sermon. As each has received a gift... Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. So here's the lesson Peter has for us. You as a Christian have received a gift. You may know that scripture speaks of many different types of gifts. You may have done a spiritual gifts assessment. You may have a sense of of some of the gifts that he's given you. Maybe it's the gift of administration or the gifts gift of service or of teaching or preaching. There are lots of gifts that are listed in Scripture. The gift of evangelism, the gift of making known the name of Christ. There are lots of gifts. If you've never pursued the Lord in terms of what gift he has given you, I want to warn you in a couple ways. First of all, don't get trapped in naming it. Uh, It's easy to think that until I know what it is exactly, I really shouldn't or can't do anything. That's not true. In fact, probably in discovering what it means to encourage others along the path, you'll discover what your gift is. 
I have a gift of teaching and preaching that I never wanted. It doesn't mean I rank anywhere. That's not important in terms of how effective it is. It's a gift. But prior to becoming a Christian, I was terrified to stand in front of people and speak. I was so afraid of speaking that in eighth grade, which required a speech class, I wouldn't go. And they basically rerouted a policy and said, he doesn't have to take speech. I was that frightened to be in front of people to speak. After I became a Christian through Young Life, my Young Life leader asked me to speak at the annual fundraising banquet. 1,200 people were there to hear me speak. God had to do something, and he did. Every one of us has been given a gift. It's something that we receive. The reason it's important to recognize that something that you received is because it is not primarily just a talent. It is not necessarily something that you're just good at or even passionate about. It is a gift that you've received. And the reason that's important is because you had nothing to do with it. You can't boast except in the gift giver. You can't say, I've always been pretty good at this. I'm just good at this. You didn't deserve it. He gave it to you because he wanted to bless you and bless others through you. That is the purpose of every gift. God gives us the gifts, these gifts of faith that we would use simply to encourage other people along their journey. That's the purpose of them. He wants us to bring him glory as we exercise our gift. So he's given it to you. It's something that you've received. If you aren't sure what it is, pursue that. Ask him. But don't wait to name it. You see, the gifts were given so that we could encourage one another on the journey. So if you see someone that needs encouragement, encourage them. It might be at your place of work. It might be your neighbor. It might be in a small group. It might be children. It might be your own family. I'm not sure who it is. But if they're in Christ, they need encouragement. You have the ability to do that. And as you do it, you may discover what your gift is along the way. So you've received a gift. Paul tells us that the, the purpose of these gifts is to encourage one another. And he, or Peter does, and he gives us a great example in the word of God. If you were to study spiritual gifts and you were moving through the New Testament, the very first place you would see the phrase spiritual gifts actually in Romans chapter one. The gifts are actually listed later in Romans, but the very first indication of spiritual gifts is very early in chapter one of Romans. Listen to what Paul says. For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith both yours and mine. Now, I want, I want you to understand something here. Paul is not saying as an apostle, I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift. In other words, I might give something to you or declare that you have something. What Paul is saying is that I want to use my spiritual gift, the gift that God's given me to encourage you. And as I'm using the gift that God's given me to encourage you, I am going to be encouraged as well. So the purpose of these gifts that God has given us is to encourage one another, whatever that gift is. And that gift is to be used expectantly. It is, be, is to be used urgently because all around you and all around me every day are brothers and sisters that need that deep encouragement. 
I love how Paul tells us it's mutual. When I see a brother or sister in need, and I know that I can encourage them with the word, I'm being blessed as well. And as they offer the same to me, I walked into my office this morning. I don't always do this, but I saw my mail slot. There was a little card. I reached in, grabbed it, opened it up. What a gift. A man just wrote a sweet handwritten note to encourage me. That's a gift. We need that, don't we? Because the sojourn is hard. Peter goes on and he speaks about being good stewards. He says, each has received a gift. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. When we think of stewardship, we immediately go to finances almost always, don't we? And in order to be a good steward of our finances, it's not a one-time decision. You don't just simply say, this is how much I'm going to give, and this is what that's going to look like forever. It is a process of seeking the Lord's face, of assessment, of asking good questions, namely of the Lord. If you're married, talking to your spouse about that, maybe even including your children in that. If you're not married, talking to a brother or a sister that you're in small group with or a pastor or leader in your life. What does it look like? But stewardship is much more than money. We can actually be faithful stewards with our resources, our money, and not be good stewards with the gift that God's given us. Notice Peter's not talking about money here. He is talking about the gift that God has given, using it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. So this is what that means. You need to seek the Lord's face for what the gift is that he's given you. Serve now, though, while you're seeking to understand that. But that's not a once and done. And here's the reason why. We're a huge body of believers. And we just, we're adding, or God's adding to our number. We need each other. There are men and women who stood up here today that have gifts that you need. And they need the gifts that you have. But what that means is just acknowledging that you have a gift isn't enough. If somebody says, I have the gift of evangelism, I love that. If I ask them, so tell me about that, what's it look like in your life? Oh, I haven't used it in a decade. That's a problem. That's not being a good steward of the gift that that individual's been given. We constantly need to assess, asking the Holy Spirit to help us. Are we being good stewards of the gift? The reason this is important is because it's easy for us as believers to conform to the pattern of the world. The pattern of the world layers things upon the church that were never intended to be there. Certain practices that work in one area don't necessarily apply to the church, and this is one. As we assess our gifts and the, and the good stewardship of our gifts, we may discover that we're not using it the way we ought to. And we might ask the question, why? And the Lord likely will tell you. He'll tell us. Here's some of the reasons. One, personal comfort. There's this incredible evangelistic event happening in our city called Revive Texas. Information's in the bulletin. Go online. Hundreds of people are making known the name of Jesus between now and Pentecost. I'm going to go one day. I don't know which day yet, but I'm going to go. 
If you want to go with me, send me an email. I'm not crazy about it. It's not my style, but I know I need to go. I'm going to go. God calls us to use our gift even when we're not comfortable. Sometimes we think that the gift is something that only makes us comfortable. No, that's not the way it works. It often, he often leads us into places of discomfort. Another thing is sometimes just laziness. I loved it when Skip Ryan used to say, you know, workaholism is just another form of laziness. Sometimes we say so busy with things that are less important because we don't want to engage in kingdom things which might make us really uncomfortable. So I want to ask you to assess in the power of the Holy Spirit the stewardship of the gift he's given you. Another thing that enters in from the world, I think, is I've done my time. I did that. You know, I don't know when I'm going to be asked to chaperone a middle school lock-in again, but I promise you the thoughts can enter my mind. I did that. I, I did that a long time. I suffered. I have gray hair because of that. You know, the truth is, the truth is, we don't retire from kingdom work. There are seasons when we're engaged in different ways than we once were before, but we must always assess are we being good stewards of the gift he's given us? There are other reasons why we need to assess it. But above all, the reason we often fail to truly be good stewards is because we have a small picture of his glory. We have a, a small picture of what God desires to do through us and is willing to do through us. I remember my seminary professor saying this, and you've heard me say it before, do your prayers make Satan shudder? Well, I think the same thing can be true with our gifts as well. Do we think every day that the end is near? And do we think, because that's a biblical phrase, though we're living soberly in light of that, do we think God today how do you want to use the gift you've given me to advance your kingdom? That's a scary prayer, I know, because it might lead to discomfort. But my friends, the only way to wedge that discomfort out of you is not willpower. It's not just saying, I'm going to grind it out. It's actually asking God to give you a greater glimpse of his glory. And his glory involves you bringing him glory. It involves you stepping back and saying, God, how do you want to use me? All of me. My time, my talent, my resources, our money, whatever. And when we get to a place where we are expectant of his return and we anticipate what it's going to be like to be in his presence, suddenly the people of God begin to release in ways that they never have before. And he moves through us and brings about kingdom impact. That's phenomenal. A couple more things I want you to see. Peter summarizes. He doesn't go into a long list of what the gifts are. Those exist in other places of Scripture. But he only mentions two. 
he mentions whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God and whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. Do you see something there? Word and deed. The gifts centered on making the word known, which is not just the preached word. It includes fathers leading devotions for their families. It includes mothers sitting by the bedside reading Bible stories. Whenever you speak something from the word of God, speak with the power that God has given you. The Holy Spirit is inside you. And then he mentions serve. Those always go hand in hand. Word and deed. Lastly, Peter ends this section by saying that in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. That really is it. From the youngest of ages, our children learn that the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. So can I say it this way? The chief end of being a good steward of the gift that he has given you is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. He has given you a gift to bring him glory and to enjoy him. It may not be the thing that you initially say, I am so excited to do this, but he's the one who gives it to you. And in time, the desire and the passion will, will be married to that calling and delight will follow. The end is near. Serve expectantly. Today, seek his face, give him praise, and ask him, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, how do you want to use the gift you've given me to bring you glory? today. Father, this is a blessing. It's your word. And it's an honor to stand before people who I believe truly want the essence of their life to be about bringing you glory. Lord, let us, let us really think long and hard and pray long and hard. And would you answer and show us how to live, serving you between now and the moment you return or call us home. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.